Hello and welcome to episode 124 of What Most People Think. We are, we're, we're back in the year now, aren't we? We're properly back in the year. Uh, people say, still saying Happy New Year. Just just find something else to greet other humans with, okay? We're just still, look, if you're still drinking Baileys in the morning, you're an alcoholic, okay? So we are now fully into the year and uh, my god there's a lot of stuff to talk about but first up thanks for all the feedback about the matt marnie episode uh, episode one two three every once in a while there's an episode where where people really connect with it and stuff so it seems that the desire among my listenership for people to avoid man tits was quite profound it's quite profound uh, unless of course you know your your partner likes tits on a man, I mean, there are some, there's some incredible niches when it comes to women, aren't there? Men like fat women, tall women, short women. I'm not sure anyone likes man tits. I have, I have to say. Uh, so we are, we this week we've got a guest, uh, the brilliant Tony Law, very respected and requested by the patrons. And we talked to him. He's see the thing about Tony is he's so funny. He's so funny. As you'll see in this interview, I mean, there was loads of places that I wanted to go, but you end up just going along in his kind of uh, comic uh, tsunami. Just an incredibly funny man, but also a deep thinker. And he kind of gets these nuggets of wisdom and comedy into what he's saying. And I think you're really just going to be entertained and enjoy this chat. It goes to many, many different places. Um, But I was back on the road this week in Litchfield. I was in Litchfield, just, you know, zhuzhing up the tour because uh, given recent events, I suspect, you know, there's going to be new stuff to talk about politically. Uh, so I would say that if you saw the tour before, if you saw the tour before, uh, you know, by the time by the time it's February, March, I mean, there's going to be new stuff in there. I've, I've given, it, given it a little spring clean. And uh, I did a gig in Kennington in South London, um, just a small gig doing, you know, warming up for the tour and trying new material. And there was a guy in there called Pete, and uh, the compere at ABC Comedy, the brilliant James Gill, said to him, where have you come from tonight, Pete? And he said, Derby. And I was like, fucking hell, right? I mean, there's an old gag in comedy where people would say stuff like that and go, is this your local comedy club? But we've moved on. And James, uh, James then said to him, oh, when are you heading back? And Pete said, tonight. And James, almost not wanting to ask, said, how are you heading back? And he said, via National Express. And what an absolute fucking pilgrim to comedy Pete was. So Pete has got free tickets to the show in Manchester. Um, So we will be talking, of course, about the recent revelations, the further revelations. I mean, just these party, these party revelations. It feels like with the government, these revelations are a bit like when you watch something you recorded before Christmas and then you see Christmas, you watch it in the new year and you see Christmas ads in it and it makes you feel uh, a bit tacky. But obviously Boris was already embattled and now he's writing the shit. So I wasn't planning to do much politics, but I think I need to talk about that before I bring in the bit uh, with Tony Law. So we'll address that subject first. Of course, a few housekeeping bits. Patreons. I finally got my shit together and there's going to be a Patreon-only online gig. The 28th of January... I can announce the lineup now. It's going to be the brilliant Dominic Frisby uh, and also Francis Fosto. Both of them have been on this podcast. It will be guaranteed front row tickets, which means that you can see, I can see and hear you, and we can talk to each other for VIP Patreons. So if you really are into that, you could upgrade. You could upgrade generally, or you could just upgrade for this month. It's up to you. And uh, it will be free access. There'll be some VIP uh, for the middle tier, but there'll be free access for everybody to watch that. Okay, so that's uh, the little thing. I've been wanting to do that for a while. And just to say thank you. There's also a Patreon only episode uh, to do with the cricket that I put out this week. And there'll be a, the usual Patreon only episode out of this later this month. So a lot of Patreon benefits coming. Uh, talking of new things, uh, the Erm Curve. So we debuted this last week. Luckily, the esteemed super patron, David Domain, was on side with this. And we have our first figures in from the guest episode with Matt Marnie. And Matt didn't earn at all, or you know at all. I mean, what? This kind of backs up his conviction. This is why he's able to sell ideas so strongly. So that immediately, I mean, let's be honest, that puts Matt naturally at the top of the Erm Curve leaderboard. But I'm not sure he will ever. My God, what what a standard to set. Uh, I, on the other hand, had four Erms. And one you know. And some people might dispute those figures, but I think that the erms that are used in setting up the erm curve, just like these erms, can't be seen as proper erms. Uh, we got some new Patreon. 
uh, patrons as well. So let's uh, say hello to them. We've got Richard Bicknell, I think, is a returning patron. And I always think, I always think of Martin Bicknell. You know, maybe the Bicknell brothers were two cricketers. Martin Bicknell was the more successful of the two. Still not a household name. But Richard, well, he played, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he's like, who, who's the war brother that never, no one ever, was it, was it Chris War? I mean, I mean they were both Mark War, that was the one. Uh, imagine that being like one of the best batsmen in the world, but your brother's Steve War. Uh, we got David Smith. I mean, that is a challenge, isn't it? David Smith, make something of that. Make something, Jeff, of the st- statistically most common name uh, in England, David Smith. I mean, it's just I got nothing, Dave. You know, please don't cancel your membership there. I mean, David Smith. Fucking hell. Just marry somebody from Ghana, David. That would be my advice. Get yourself a little double-barreled name with something a bit more interesting at the other end. Because David Smith, I mean, it is that is that is more English than somebody in fucking pickled onions off a naked Morris dancer. I mean, it's an interesting question there. Is a naked Morris dancer really a Morris dancer without the clothes? <laughs> uh, Chris Wingrove. Chris Wingrove. That's a very sort of uh, upper-middle-class name. That. Hi, Chris Wingrove here. Uh, Chris Wingrove, got really good CV, Chris Wingrove. And by that, I don't just mean that he's, you know, obviously he's got Oxford or Cambridge or Durham or whatever, but it's on good paper. Do you know what I mean? He's got his own font. <laughs> Chris Wingrove. The family are just, they're just doers, aren't they? The Wingroves, they're, they're, family, they're a family of doers. They get out there and they do stuff. They, they mountain trek, they mountain bike. Anything with a fucking mountain in it, you better believe you're going to see the Wingroves out there. So before we uh, before we crack on, let's just do a quick. Well, it's going to be two fuck yous this week because uh, well, it's the second week of January. It feels uh, appropriate. We're going to do two fuck yous. Uh, first is this false equivalence when people start losing an argument, right? So I'll give you an example. Uh, like for example, it'd be something like Remainers making out that roaming charges are a sign that Brexit has failed, or or for Brexiteers, it would be making out that. You know, having the old-fashioned pint measurements back or mean that Brexit has been a success, you know? And with all with all the stuff about um, Novak Djokovic and Nigel Farage getting involved, God knows why. I mean, it's just, he's a bit of a grifter, isn't he, old Nigel? And, uh, and people started sort of thinking it was a savage own to say to Farage, ha-ha, immigration borders, see? You don't like it where you thought you liked the Australian immigration points-based system. And I thought, sorry... Are you actually trying to use the slightly demented and hysterical flip-flopping of the Australian Tennis Association and their their Home Secretary as an argument to say that you were right on Brexit? I mean, if you think Nigel Farage uh, is a prick, then just say Nigel's a prick. Just say that. Don't try and suddenly go, well, you see this thing over here? Well, it proves me right about that thing over there. And I think that, you know, honestly, if you're currently on the side of the Australian authorities. I, I'm not sure that's the best place to be, given that I saw a, uh, a protest about Djokovic's, uh, well, incarceration. All right, you know, he's obviously, he's not Nelson Mandela. He's not he's not an Alcatraz or Robin Island. Um, but people are getting sprayed with pepper spray. So I'd, I'd be just a little bit wary of uh, venerating the Australian... I used the word venerating. I've been venerating the word venerating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to find a, a synonym for that, he said, trying to... Uh, trying to claw it back and then doubting himself of to what the fuck synonym meant. What's another word for synonym? Come on, middle class people. That was a edumacated joke, as my mum would have said. Uh, and the second fuck you is that what's happened with Omicron. Um, and you know, it turns out the uh, South African doctors have been have been vindicated. You know, so what? What, what are we? What do we shit on your shoes? eh? we were saying that it was quite mild. It was quite mild, and uh, and so people. Now, given that the government, and this is, you know, what we will get, get onto in a sec of the government's turmoil, this is the funny thing, is they've actually done something right. They took a gamble, whether it was by luck or by design from Boris, to keep his backbenchers happy. But it does seem like England may be paving the way to a kind of post-Omicron future. This is how we handle it. This is how we live with it. So some people aren't willing to, to deal with the possibility that the government might have done something right, because they're quite enjoying the fact that on social media, everyone's piling in on them. So I've seen a few people, once we passed the 150,000 deaths milestone, uh, that were trying to create this argument that the real measure uh, for how well we've done on COVID 
is obviously death tolls, not deaths per million, which is, I mean, fucking the only thing you should be looking at. I mean, if you're going on death tolls, you'd say that India is one of the worst, but actually India's deaths per million haven't been that bad. So what, first things first is it should only be deaths per million. And then secondly, they, instead of saying that, well, we should, we, we should look at how similar countries have fared, uh, they've claimed that the most similar country that we should compare ourselves to is, guess what? What, Jeff? France, uh, Italy, uh, Belgium, what really, you know, close European neighbours, Spain. No, Japan. <laughs> Japan, apparently, because they're an island, you see? They're an island, and that is, you know, these people that claim that, um, you know, I don't actually feel British, I feel European. When it comes to COVID comparisons, they're looking all across to the fucking Pacific. Japan, all right, who's got, yeah, Japan, let's do it with Japan. Which is the best of these Southeast Asian places? China, I mean, you can't trust that. I mean, that actually seems a bit suspicious. So let's just go with Japan. I mean, the, the, the editor of the New European, uh, Tim Walker, he said that uh, Boris Johnson, Johnson couldn't have done a worse job on COVID. And I think, again, objectively, there's loads of things that you can legitimately go over the government at right now. So why say something daft like that? Currently, we're out of the top 30 for deaths per million. So just, you know, this is the problem with people that have shown their hand as being like, I hate Boris or I hate Brexit or I hate the Tories, is that they overreach sometimes. And if you want to be taken seriously... Then, you know, well, look, bottom line is don't say that our closest comparison point for COVID is fucking Japan. Before we get into the chat with Tony, let's have a quick recap on all the stuff that's been happening with that party thing that won't go away. Okay, so just a quick recap, of course, we had that all those stories in December of last year about Christmas parties, Zoom parties, little gatherings of various levels of transgression there was a sean bailey one which was blatantly a party then there was a couple that were just like a zoom quiz and most people thought fine but it was kind of put to bed that there was going to be uh, an inquiry and then it turned out the guy that was doing the inquiry had had a little party himself <laughs> so we got this woman called sue gray who's doing an inquiry and then late on when was it monday or tuesday night it must have been monday night uh, we get a further allegation that there was a party at the 20th on the 20th of may 2020 so this was the first big lockdown as we were coming out of it the government at that time was saying that you can't you can't meet more than one person in a garden. You're joking. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, there was an email from a senior civil servant at number 10 uh, that said, uh, having a little soiree outside, bring your own bottle. I mean, look, from the government's point of view, they should be saying, look, at least it wasn't on the taxpayers' money, you know? This had been Labour. It had been, you know, but <laughs> bring... Yeah, bring, bring your own bowl, BYOB. I mean, that sounds like a party, doesn't it? I mean, the defence since has been that it might, you know, Boris thought that it was a uh, a work event, and we'll get on to his pretty pathetic defence shortly. But uh, then then there was this kind of scramble around. I mean, first of all, how fucking stupid are these people to send an email, an actual email to 100 people at a time of national lockdowns? I mean, the only thing you can conclude is these people were closest to the data so they didn't think it was that risky, did they, to have a little meet-up outside? We all kind of knew, especially with the alpha strain of, of, of uh, COVID, that, you know, it wasn't that much of a problem outside. And just to think that 100 people that at some point won't have beef with you is just astonishing, that it just won't get out. And it turns out that they, yeah, they were, you know, they were quaffing drinks, because in the moment that politicians do something like this, it immediately becomes quaffing doesn't they? Quaffing drinks. What was it? Scoffing and quaffing. Scoff. That's probably what the Daily Mirror would say. Scoffing volivants in the same way that, you know, when Jeffrey Cox does some work in the West Indies, he's, he's sunning himself on the beach. They're always sunning themselves, especially Jeffrey Cox. It was like they were trying to make an image of him as some sort of basking whale. But they're basically doing the kind of things that could, could have caused a revolution in France once upon a time. And then the question is whether or not Boris Johnson was there. And at that point, everyone's trying to hand it over to this woman called Sue Gray. Look, you got to ask Sue Gray. Sue Gray's doing the investigation. I kind of thought Sue Gray was a funny name because she does sound like the archetypal woman who works in HR, don't she? You're going to have to speak to Sue Gray, I'm afraid. Yeah, that is very much Sue Gray's department. Everyone was putting stuff over to Sue Gray. You know, even Shaggy was, in terms of any infidelities he might have had, he's saying, look, I'm afraid you're just going to have to ask Sue Gray. It wasn't me. And now we've had this um, statement in the comments from Boris where he does another mea culpa. Yeah, or sort of. 
because there's he makes out he was only there 25 minutes. He's bowled into the garden. Everyone's having drinks and that. You know the vibe of a party. He's like, I didn't really know it was a party. Did anyone have their fucking laptops out, Boris? Yeah, did anyone look bored? That would be a sign, wouldn't it? Was anyone bored? Uh, I didn't know it was a party, and I went back inside to work. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, probably the most uh, hard-to-believe element of that is that he went back inside to work, right? But And, and so he, he sort of said, again, we're going to have to wait for the inquiry. Starmer, who, in fairness to him, was actually forensic today. It's rare that that's actually true. Starmer had a good go at him, but he batted it back, saying we're going to have to wait for the inquiry. And meanwhile, I mean, a lot of people seized on different elements. But my my favourite one was when he said, in hindsight, we may have done things differently. I mean, Jesus, yeah. I mean, wouldn't not have a party in the time of a national lockdown? Not sort of sit on it for all that time? And then, this is probably the most politically naive, naive element uh, for me is that all all these stories were circling in mid-December. If you had any fucking political savvy whatsoever, you'd have gone, let's just get it all out now. There's definitely a watershed that happens with Christmas, you know? This is what I said in my Mystic Meg uh, podcast, was I said that the toys might have a bounce in the poll because psychologically starting a new year, um, that does, that you know, things tend to wash away a bit. And, and, and that was the case. The toys were regaining a bit of popularity. The success or the emerging success of their COVID strategy was sort of reflecting badly on old uh, fun police Drakeford out there. What's that? I mean, it's incredible that given all that, that, that Boris has still managed to, to eke out this thing that he could have put to bed. If he'd have gone mid-December, yeah, we did all that. And you know what? There was another one. There was another one. I'd rather be the one to tell you. I'd rather be the one. There was one in May 2020. Yeah, it was sunny, exercise, vitamin D and all that. But you know what? It was wrong. I was there, I had a drink, I'm not proud of it, but all of that gets put to bed. And now we get another round of it. And he's just, uh, it's just astonishing that he didn't see that coming. In some ways, you know, the lying, yeah, they're politicians. But what I think for a lot of people is kind of just as worrying is the, the sheer fucking political naivety of, you know, both Boris Johnson and the team around him and the civil servants at number 10, that they never thought, A, that all of this would come out at all, B, that they trusted all those people in their circle, and C, they didn't have the political good sense to get all the bad news out in one go. Okay, uh, enough of the boring stuff. Let's get into a very fun and funny and illuminating and interesting chat with the brilliant Tony Law. Okay, making his debut on what most people think is the fantastic Tony Law. Tony, welcome to the show. <laughs> you say I'm making my debut on what is most people think is the fantastic Tony Law. Yes. Did I say that? Did I get the yes. words the right way around? I like I'm, it. I mean, I'm I'm trying to big up like debut as though as though this is a kind of legacy media that that people. Uh, it feels like would... every day is a debut. I should say it's a real shame that people can't see you here because your yeah. audio setup involves a strange uh, kind of sort of a chessboard behind your head, which looks like a vortex. Oh, you know what you that is? That's, into. that's one of those infinity rugs uh, during the lockdown when I was losing my marbles. I thought I'm getting one of those. Looks like you're falling into a black hole. That is exactly what it looks like. And yeah, you've also forty got... quid smaller than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, it's a smaller black hole, so you've actually got some sort of chance yeah. of escaping again if it gets well, dull. It makes me feel like there's space here because I've turned a linen cupboard, yeah, uh, which gives the impression that we've got lots of linen. It's got sleeping bags and hoovers and stuff. It, it's I do my voiceovers and stuff, or whatever I can get in in this tiny little space. I have to move the Hoover and the bag bag of dog food out, put my stool in. Here I am. Yeah, it is a shame no one can see this. And also, you're wearing a, a head torch as well, and I, I haven't worked out why you're doing that yet, but it well, looks amazing. That's in case I drop something on the floor. So okay. I, I've literally right up to my chest is linen, linen, and then down the bottom I've got leg space. <clears throat> but often I've dropped my vape down there, or you know, my phone, and I need to get my phone. So I flick this this on because it's too dark down there to see. I mean, it, it does look like you're about to go mining in a black hole. I can't type in here, so I can only yeah. use one hand. <laughs> <It's> very... <laughs> so you, I'm you a grown do... man. And you were announced recently as part of this new Radio 4 pilot for a show called Unsafe, right? So you're sharing a platform with all these evil people, Tony. I don't know what the fuck you think. <laughs> well, and... you're, 
you're, you're one of those horrible conservative guys, but then you've been on the MASH report, so you're like a cuckoo or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, what is it called? Controlled opposition. They brought me in. Do you know why and... I, I, I only ever did that? Because the gig they do it at over there at the backyard. Comedy Unleashed. Un Unleashed is the, the first. Uh, I didn't even know about it. And then a friend was saying in a car ride, oh, that's that Nazi gig. And I went, I went there's a Nazi gig? <laughs> I thought, fuck, I know I'm out of the loop, but I'm not what's happening? And I thought I need to, before I condemn Rosie Willoughby, the, the left-wing lesbian comedian who's on, yeah. I, better, I better go there for myself, like, before I start slinging at people. So I went, and I realized that all the comedians are pretty much left lefties. There's the odd yes. right-wing comic. Um uh, but mostly all lefties, and I thought, I feel like I've been lied to about this gig. And then they were really nice to me, and they gave me work. So I thought, well, I'll do this. Well, I mean, it would be I haven't very changed unlike... a thing that I do. I do exactly the same. No, no, most people do at Comedy Unleashed. I mean, it would be very unlike social media to have a slightly hysterical action yeah. because there are one or two personalities that they deem to be unsavory. Yeah. I mean, I saw saw the announcement of Unsafe, which is sort of, it's a pilot. I think you're recording it on Monday, and it's supposed to be Radio 4's attempt to, I guess, deal in the area of what would be seen to be contrarian or anti-woke. I suspect looking at who's been booked, it's going to be a mix of stuff. But, you know, even that, people are, are what? You know, the idea that the BBC uh, would put any money at all. I mean, let's, and we're talking radio here, so it's not much fucking money. No, there's no but, money in it. <laughs> but people, I guess, would make presumptions about you, right? Because you've got a playful uh, demeanour and because of how, how you dress extravagantly on stage. I guess over the years, people would have presumed that you were uh, on that side of the political fence. But I pretty much, uh, well, I mean, I've never, I've always been a... An old school lefty, but mm. um, uh, I'm also a contrarian, and I don't like being told who's bad and who's good, and I mm. don't like condemning. I like to be a proper liberal and be open minded. So, what? so, and also, you I can't like, do that anymore, Tony. That's like, not that's yeah. that's Nazi. And uh, and uh, and I also figure uh, conservatives live in the world, and um, mm. I decided to because I used to be really snowflakey in my twenties, like you know. If there was yeah. ability to cancel people, I would have been one of them doing it. So I kind of now... <laughs> Leading the charge. I now kind of make fun of myself. Of yeah. That during a time of my life, I thought I was so superior to people that I knew better about every single subject there was. Like, I can't deny that's the kind of arrogant prick I used to be. And probably still am. But anyway, so I, I make fun of myself as a kind of a cancel culture loon. Mm. Um. Because if I was 20 now, I'd be out, out there with them, just going, just taking people down. So I make fun of myself like that. And But, but the reason I'm on there is because I've always been a bit uh, of a left field, uh, absurd one. They always say, well, we don't know what to do with them. And I just thought, fuck, I got a chance to go on Radio 4. They're finally letting me be on. <laughs> and if I have to pretend to be right wing, I'll do it. I suppose what you have is people's big P political views, right? So that's people yeah. that are happy to be associated with a party. But then you have this other thing, which is small P politics, which can cross the divide. You can be a left-wing guy, but you can also believe in individualism and, and, yeah. and personal responsibility. And, and given that you grew up like on a farm and were made to do hard work. And, you know, and people forget about Canada. It's a very macho culture once you get outside the absolute metropolitan areas. So is that where the sort of divide happens for you, is that you don't like hearing people whining, maybe? Yeah, I suppose it's that. And I spent so long uh, trying to make my dad think correctly about stuff. I used to cut it, like, I started, because I've got such a chip on my shoulder, like most people who've never been to college have. You know, uh, <laughs> but I started reading The Guardian because I in the back in the 90s. And I thought, if I just read this, this it's got big words, huge articles. If I read this every day, I can turn myself into a, a smart guy, you know. And uh, so I, I would cut out articles and mail them to my dad. Hey, see this? I bet you didn't think that. But slowly, <laughs> slowly over time, I realized that all he is is just a conservative guy is actually liberal in many other ways and he's also been a way better human being than me so he's never he's never had a drink problem he's never been, he's never uh like he's always worked hard he's always helped others he's always 
uh, done charitable things. And I just thought, fuck, I've hated on this guy my whole life. And he's, <laughs> he's a way finer human being than me. And so I, so I had to start thinking, I need to, you know, I, I need to fix myself. And I, I, I still, I suppose, as liberal as before. Um, but I realized he's more liberal than I ever thought. Yeah. And also, I suppose, you know, it's that difference where you realize that actually doing nice things for people is worth a lot more than saying nice yeah. things about humanity. I did a lot of, easy. Yeah. I did a lot of that talking, thinking, fuck, I am awesome, but I have done shit. <laughs> I've done shit fuck for nobody but myself. <laughs> but I have said I'm awesome so often. <laughs> and I hang around <laughs> with people that are all just as fucking awesome. I guess it's like you, at some point you get old enough, you stop. You, the the assumption is is you get more Haiti, but I got less Haiti. I just thought I'm tired of it. I, you know, for me it was Brexit came along, and although I'm still, I thought it was a terrible idea, and I didn't want to, but I but I was tired of uh, all the people who wanted Brexit being told that they're all they're all racist, they're all that, and I thought no, they they don't seem like that. I think they might have mm. other reasons. So I forced myself to meet loads of people like that, and although. I never came around to agreeing. I did come around to the fact that there's a lot of great people out there that have different views than me, <laughs> and and they're not bigots. You know, sure there are some, of course, but oh yeah, but yeah. you know, there's there's bigots all over in there. But there was a lot of really good I mean, it people. I mean, and they're funner too. The Brexit. People. Well, I mean, this is one of the things. It's like if you talk about who's box office. I mean, you look at left wing and right wing politicians. If you take out their moral fiber. Who are you going to have a better night out with? I mean, yeah. like, if you take out if you take out the fact that they may well have partied while people were dying and not allowed to visit their parents, if you just set that tiny thing to one side, they were still they were still having a drink. Do you know what I mean? Oh, They're yeah. still getting out there. I mean, and I'm, you know, I, I'm. Uh, I think you can, like, I I was keen on the vaccines and all that. I'm a bit of a sheeple, mm. but. Me too. Also, my mum got ill during the lockdown, and and she suffered terribly. She had dementia, and she, no one was allowed to visit her. So, like, I've I've been on that side of it. It's it's, mm. you know, and um, so so, but it doesn't make me uh, want to just hate on uh, people I don't know. Do you remember that period? Uh, I think it was in the mid-noughties when Labour were in power in this country. So so there wasn't much in the way of political comedy, but there were quite a few, particularly at the fringe, comics who would go at religion. Yeah, and, yeah, religion was, was the big one. Yeah, like Christianity took a fucking hammering, didn't it? Well, what they do, they did. They seem to equate the Westboro Baptist Church in the states with with Christianity in Britain. Yeah. And at the time, I was still going to church sometimes, and there was such a fucking chasm between who they were talking about and and the kind of nice people that just wanted to have a biscuit on a Sunday yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. And then they really pulled up. They really pulled the horse up when it came to uh, Islam. They <laughs> the same ones. They absolutely torched Christianity, and then they pulled the pulled the horse up and went, "No, no, we're not going there." First yeah, out of fear guess... and then out of fear, but a different kind of fear. The first fear was like a, a fear of retribution. From, you Reprisals, know. yeah. Yeah, and then but the next one was fear of not being on the same team as everyone and getting outcast. So I, I, uh, I like, and I, I, I think you got to, I, I just have such a contrarian uh, streak. It, it was funner to be a lefty when it felt like the culture the main culture was pretty right wing mm. and so it was funner but now the dominant comedians are all lefties but it's still mm. not making me want to be a, a righty it just means i've got to find different ways to be a contrarian and i remember when you when uh i first discovered that you were like this right wing comedian and i was like and this is going way back. I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna go and see. I'm gonna go and see him, and I'm not gonna like this at all. And I remember, go, I remember going to. <laughs> I was going. He's, he makes some pretty good points, actually. <laughs> I, I don't think he said anything that I find repulsive at all. Damn it! What's happening? I, I liked well, your stuff about growing up on an estate and all that. I liked your uh, your class stuff. Normally, it would be lefties doing class stuff well i suppose that has been the thing that's happened in the last few years and especially since brexit it was the the, the the sort of liberal middle classes were like would say to working class we'll look after you just vote us in and we'll take care of you and then and then brexit happened they're like you fucking stupid racist <laughs> oh yeah that, <laughs> and, that's flipped and, and on, so there was 
It did a bit, and then there was this severance. So I think it's created quite an interesting territory where, I mean, obviously it's ridiculous, the idea that Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris Johnson would want me anywhere near their yeah. social circle. But what it did create was a period in time where you sort of thought, well, hang on, I seem to, at this point, agree with some of what those guys were saying. You've got to think, really how, think how shit the, the so-called left party is. How shit is it that, <laughs> that working-class people from fucking up north would think, no, I'm voting for Reese Mogg. Like, they, they don't take a look at themselves and go, we must be absolutely awful if they're going for these fucking toilets. Well, they do. The smart ones do. I mean, Starmer sort of alluded to that uh, in his speech, and, and, and a lot of the hard left were, oh, don't were appalled, appalled. I don't know much about him. I've, 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 I've stopped even listening to the news, but I don't like him. He doesn't seem right. And I'm basing that no, on nothing no. other than his tone of voice. But but that is a, a legitimate thing. But that's what you have to do when you're responding to a leader, right? I always think if it was kind of like eight thousand BC and there's like seventeen of you sitting around a fire, and then one of them stands up and goes, <laughs> and you go no, and the other one goes, and you go him, right? Yeah, it's a really instinctive thing. It's not it's not illegitimate to respond to humans on this basis if they're saying they want to be the leader. I never thought I'd grow into one of those people who goes, well, they're all shit, aren't they? But I have. <laughs> oh, I all, think they are. Yeah, like I a, think they are legitimately all shit. And what, what's old Boris there? They were having the party and all that. And like I should be, like I, I was, I was devastating not being able to visit my mom and all that. You know, couldn't mm. get out of the country, and she had to look through a phone. She couldn't work. One time she was they in Canada. They allowed her to go on a balcony, masked up with, and my dad, poor old dad, down at the bottom, ninety years old, eighty eight whatever looking up and mom who can't communicate looking down is shaking her fist at him like and i could hear her going you son of a bitch why are you gonna come up here you stupid my mom's from trinidad that's why i'm doing that accent but, she, right. I, but i could hear her she couldn't speak anymore but i could hear this trinidadian rage in her head she yeah. she fucking loathes i'm swearing a lot today sorry but she that's loathed fine. canada and she loathed canada simply because of the weather and she resented my dad for our entire lives because he took her from Trinidad to Canada, mm. the godforsaken shithole. Um, legally, uh, right? Legally. Yeah, yeah, no, It yeah, was yeah. consensual. Right? Good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, not the way she twisted it by the end. But, uh, <laughs> but it, so, so that was, I mean, that's extremely sad. And then when you see that Boris had a party and stuff like that, it, I, I feel like once you've had, what, or millions of people have gone through something similar, like that, mm. uh, once you've gone through that, you you don't I don't know you don't necessarily feel as much rage towards Boris. You're just saying, oh, you fucking tool. Like, but it's also like what what, what comes in behind it? Some other fucking... Richie Sunak, mate, smart smart young guy. Oh, I like it. What's he called, Richie? R let's call him Richie. Richie uh, I Sunak. Richie. <laughs> Richie Sunak. Now there's a that's a guy I'll, I could get behind. Richie Sunak. Speaking about this country, I mean, one, one thing that probably makes you and, and, you know, listening to interviews that you've done is I, I sort of get the impression, and this is generally unfashionable among comics, is that you actually quite like Britain. I mean, I don't know if you still feel that way. but Oh, no, I do. Were... I love it. I love it. I've, I've always loved it. Um, I came over long before I did comedy. And I, I love the I, I love both the melting potness of it, but I also like the quirky regionalness of it. I love Northerners. I love uh, corn Cornish people. I love how the Scots mm. loathe the English still, maybe even more than ever. And I love Northern Ireland. That's where my dad's from. So I just love it. It's there's so much going on in each little region. And I love history, and uh, ah, it's 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 the best place. And I like that they can you can banter with each other. You can hate on each other. But no one's shooting each other, so that's a good one. Like it's not much, no, not much no. shooting, not much shooting. That's awesome. No, and and you know we got the 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 most sort of passive police possibly in the world. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you think about the kind of like these authoritarian regimes. You know when we had Insulate Britain and they were that those first sit down protests. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the video of the police officer. Not just reading them their rights, but basically acting like an air stewardess, going, if you are feeling uncomfortable and you do need water, just signify it to one of my colleagues and we will attend to that. And I thought, 
Fucking, the Russians are sitting there going, look, look, just look, this real video. Oh, yeah. Absolute, genuine, 100% real. That's a fake. That yeah, is fake. So many, when, you, when you read on, uh, if you ever see a tweet or anything that says, anti-woke, I always hear it in a Russian accent. <laughs> anti-woke. This woke bullshit. And you're going, fuck. The, the, the instinct to pile on people and bully people. Is really mm. strong, and it's just new people doing it. In the old days, it was, you know, the the bigger ones in the playground. Like the, it used to be more physical fights. People got more mm. physical fights, and that's how bullying. But now bullying is done by people who maybe weren't weren't able to bully because they were not physically. Do you know what I mean? Now they're online and yeah, they can yeah, bully, yeah. and they're like, "This is great. I'm gonna fucking Which, shut. I'm gonna shut this fucker down, man." You know, on their laptop. I'm fucking power. I got control. I got a fucking that fucking guy. He's a fucking racist. That fucking guy. Jerry's he's got a and they got a family. Let's fucking take. Let's destroy him. So they're you know they've got power. It's all about power in it. I don't they've know. I don't, like those, know. I don't know. Those superheroes. No, no. I think you're right. I think they become like you know those superheroes that don't actually have a power, but te technology gives them one. So like Iron Man yeah. or Batman, they've become fortified by technology. Because you know, I always with, with bullying. It's a really sort of sensitive subject because I was I was bullied at school, but I also did a little bit myself. Mm, you, you know, you I got dabble. I, I dabbled yeah, here and there. I dabbled a bit. I wasn't I wasn't brilliant at it, but you know, I picked my targets wisely. But I don't. I, it's a very sort of modern sensitive thing to have never gotten over your school bullies. But I, I, even at the time I was being bullied, I was thinking exactly what you were saying. I was like, he's got problems. Even as he was punching me in the face, uh, I was going, yeah, something's not well, right at home. I'm a, you know, I, I still shudder at smashing Ted Vanderwecken's birdhouse in shop class. Like, you know, I fucking did it, man. <laughs> and I, 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 I carried that Sorry. with me my whole life. I just smashed his birdhouse when it finished. What a, I was, it was a real bully phase there. Ted didn't deserve it. He didn't do nothing to nobody. What was his surname again? It's just a brilliant name for <laughs> Ted Vanderwacken. <laughs> Ted Vanderwacken's birdhouse. I mean, if if Edinburgh does happen again, if you don't, I know comics always say, "Oh, you should call your show that." But Ted Vanderwacken's birdhouse—that's <laughs> great. I would write that down, but I'm in a linen cupboard. <clears throat> you have to remind me at the end of this. Ted Vanderwacken's birdhouse. Yeah, maybe that's the source of all my issues. All my problems, like the guilt. But you, but I mean, now as a mature, self-reflective man, obviously that was it. Was it too perfect? His birdhouse was was had he had he done too good a job? You know, you know the truth of it is, is there was nothing about it. There was not. It, it was pure evil within me. It was it was like motivated by nothing. Ted was uh, just a, a a kind like all Ted's crime was is he was a little bit slow. And, and, and it was nothing I hated about Ted. There was just a hatred of inside of me that just wanted to do evil. It was my shadow. <laughs> my shadow escaped. And here's me, you know, popping around the rest of the time. It's, oh, he's such a nice guy. Tony's a nice guy. But my shadow, fuck, he, he smashed that birdhouse to shit. And there was no consequences, apart from I've been really? haunted by it my whole life. <laughs> I mean, that's there's always consequences, but it not in the moment. I mean, it'd been better off if you'd have just had a couple of detentions and stuff. But a lifetime. I mean, did it feel? Do you remember the feeling of exhilaration, uh, uh, smashing it? Did was there any good in the moment? Yeah, in the moment, I felt powerful. I felt like I felt evil. You know, I felt the power of evil, and immediately. So, so this is a. Uh, uh, when we got off the bus at the same place, <clears throat> hmm. um, <laughs> um, but immediately I've started thinking about it. You know, I I don't hmm. think I ever really made it up to him. I was nicer to him, you know. Yeah. From that, that point on, maybe a little too nice. Hey, Ted, Ted, come on, sit with us. <laughs> So you're saying that you you didn't get in trouble. Ted actually got a, a kind he of. He never uh, told uh, on me. He never. He just he just threw it in the ditch and went home. That was it. Well, so Ted Ted got a dividend hanging out with the cool kids, and only you have held on to it yeah. for, for, for life. <laughs> maybe maybe you need it. Maybe you need that moment to stop you doing the adult version of whacking down <laughs> Ted Vander. I needed that to make me such a great person. 
podcast. Okay, just uh, interrupting the chat with Tony. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, of course, the tour. Now, now the Omicron thing has been demonstrably proved to be an absolute pussy. We told you. We absolutely fucking told you, eh? Uh, be a pussy. Tickets are shifting now. Tickets are shifting. I think now the first two are sold out. Brighton is very close to selling out. So I'm, I'm asking again, if you're thinking... Because this is what happens, right? I push my tour for ages, and then people go, yeah, yeah, I'll do that in a minute. And then I start saying dates are sold out. And I'm like, whoa, oh, brilliant. Are you playing, are you playing anywhere else near me? Uh, are you playing at uh, the park near my house? No, all right? I'm telling you now because the public mood is shifting and we're starting to sell tickets. And, of course, the tour ends. The only London date I've got, I'll remind you, is Sunday the 29th of May at Wimbledon Theatre. Some of the bigger rooms we've got, we've got Ipswich, we've got Portsmouth, we've got Winchester, we've got Wellingborough, we've got Bath, we're going to all those places. We're going Plymouth, Belfast. We're going to Belfast. Has he got the confidence to nail the fucking accent this week? Does he? No, no. Is this racism? I don't know. But look, uh, the tour is picking up very soon. I'm writing loads of new gear for it to sort of freshen it up. So I'm very excited about getting back on the road. Of course, the book, Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me, uh, is still available. It had a good bump on the Kindle recently. And of course, yeah, you never know how things go. I mean, people say, well, you're going to write a book soon called uh, Where Did I Go Left? How the Right Lost Me. But I'll tell you something, being pissed off with Boris Johnson and this current Conservative administration it's not the same as completely redrawing your political dial. And uh, I think, well, how has this become political? I'm supposed to be hyping my tour. But, you know, I think Labour will have to dig a lot deeper if they think that people are just going to... It's that fucking simple. But, um, you know, if you want incredible political insights like this, and let's be honest, a majority of knob gags, then do come see me out on tour or buy the book. All right, let's get chat. Let's get back. Yeah. Tony Law. And I now have become my dad because my dad, in, in the kind of twilight years of his life, he used to love watching Jeremy Kyle because he made some bad decisions. And he used to see all these fucking toothless idiots walking out there with seven kids. Hey, man, what's wrong with life. toothless idiots? How dare you? You need to learn how to understand these people, man. Sorry, toothless idiots from Norwich. Let me be more specific. But they, they'd all walk out having made, and he loved it because he made good. He had, he went through spells of making both good and bad decisions. But in some ways, he was like your dad because he was uh, he was active in the church, right? Um, and I always forgot about that because maybe it was convenient for me to do so. But he used to work at soup kitchens, right? But and this is where me and him maybe share something. Is he used to give out the soup, but he fucking hated it. Like he hated it. <laughs> he hated all the people. And he was very conservative, <laughs> even though he was a labour man. He was like, none of them are poor, son. They just It's just a way of getting free food, you know. But he would still do it. Oh, my you God. Know? And I thought, maybe that's the best kind of Christian, right? Yeah. A reluctant one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he's 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 overriding his instincts to be good. Like he's making a con. I remember one. We were at my uh, uh, uncle Ron's place in his basement, and there was my dad. He's he's twins, Uncle Ron and Don. <laughs> you can tell they're <laughs> they're from Northern Ireland. Ronald Edwin and Donald Edward. That's the <laughs> real Protestant working class fucking. He, their dad was called Alfred. Alfred and Gertrude had a shit ton of kids. But anyway, there was my dad and his uncle and a couple of other farmers, maybe three or four others, and one young guy uh, my age. And they were all playing cards, and I wasn't playing cards. I was up hanging out with the moms. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and they were talking about, <clears throat> one of the guys got talking about homeless people in Calgary. Yeah, I was in fucking Calgary, all the fucking homeless guys out there. And he was just being savage. You know what they need to do with these guys? They need to round them up. It was really horrible stuff. And I remember my dad going, what a bunch of shit. He says, geez, you don't know anything about their lives. You don't know a goddamn thing what put them in that position. And I just remember being so proud of, mm. of my dad. I just remember thinking, holy cow, what a, for a guy born in 1930-odd, who's, you mm. know, used to freeze to his bed when he, peed himself you know they were so freaking poor they had to walk they had they had horses to they rode horses to school you know when other kids that parents had cars like really poor but for him to come to that conclusion uh, that just made me proud i just thought well yeah he's, he's more well, left yeah. wing than any fucker i know 
But then that's and not left so, wing. That's a, just a human thing. That's a yeah, no, quite yeah. I think there's a humanity in that. And you think about like pissing your bed. What a consequence? Because often the consequence for pissing your bed would be a, a stern father admonishing you. But when you're just frozen to the bed, well, as well, yeah, and he got he, he he and some of it leaked over, and his brother because they all shared a bed for warmth. His brother was frozen to the bed too, and he was apps. They absolutely <laughs> fought. And they used to fight proper fist fights when they were kids. <clears throat> but that was Alfie. He brought that to the table. But I think it's like uh, it's amazing. Like you know, you have Alfred who's in an orphanage, left, stole the identity of one of his dead siblings, one of like seventeen, stole his identity mm. to go to World War One at fourteen. Comes to Canada, brings a bit of PTSD with him. He's a bit of a savage to his children. Well, not a bit. He was a violent alcoholic. And then my dad comes along. So he's lucky enough to be in Canada where he can build something. And then, you know, he, he's, he's less like Alfie. He stopped the alcohol and the, and the violence. And then, you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing mm. how, how quickly and how slowly it takes for families to sort of get it right. No, I'm more of a throwback to Alfred there. I, <laughs> I just thought things are starting, to, are starting to trend upwards. I'm going to take us back to poverty and be a comedian like what a terrible decision i should have you know gone straight into farming and joined the family you know help build that and i thought now this family's made too much progress i'm gonna go to a foreign country where i've got no structure around me no people and try and build a career that uh i don't know anybody in or how to do it and it's going to be dominated by people who've been to Oxford or Cambridge. <laughs> so that's what I thought I'd do. <clears throat> Is it still like, I mean, who's on TV? Are they all from Oxford? Well, I, th I think that there's an awareness at the moment. Obviously, the big drive is to get uh, women and, and people of colour on television. Which is uh, good. The, I mean... It, which is good, but you look behind the camera, right? This yeah, is the yeah, interesting yeah. thing about TV and what I've said is it's very easy to make changes in front of it, right? Yeah. It's not easy, but like like you can change the ratios quite quickly. Yeah. You just turn that camera yeah, around, yeah, yeah. right? In the writer's room. Go, I mean, the writer's room, but like, you know, the production team, Tony. I mean, I've worked on these topical shows, right? So I, I, I occasionally pop up on them. But mainly, you know, most of my work in and around that world would have been writing. And I've never met anybody who was A, openly right of centre, B, who voted for Brexit. And you are expected to, like most things, you, you go, could you just tell them you're, you're working class as well? Is that being, you know? <laughs> well, and, well, Mickey Flanagan's I mean, on TV and no one on his crew sounds like him. <laughs> like nobody well, in, his, in his writer's room sounds like him at all. I'll bet. Well, I, I mean, I think if any, the writers room might have more political diversity at least. But you're right; it's very straight oh, it? white male. But but the but but the production. I mean, I I made a, a documentary called um um how do I can't even fucking remember how the middle classes fucked up Britain or something like yeah. that. But I remember like the irony of almost everyone I worked with on that show. We went, uh, we did a day's filming at an ASDA in like Sedgefield, you know, one of these kind of constituencies. And uh, one of the guys, we were in the cafe at Asda, and the guy asked if we could reserve a table. Oh, right. <laughs> which, I, which I just thought was just the, the most kind of like emphatic demonstration of, of the courage. A woman just looked at him, uh, just sit in the table, love. You know what I mean? Not and, then, and then he set up a tab. Was, he set up uh, a tab at Asda's cafe? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, just keep them coming. Keep keep the pissy coffee coming. I like going to a, a supermarket cafe. I'll, I'll go into the odd waitrose with a cafe just to sit amongst the elders. I love old people. Yes. We don't get to be, we're not exposed as enough to old people. Well, they tick over at a slower rate, don't they? Like their internal metronome is definitely slower. I mean, you look at the music that they elected to listen to during the war <laughs> and because their life had genuine stress, it was all like, I'm walking down the boulevard, yeah. feeling fine with my girl. Yeah, that's funny. I was, I was teaching my daughter some old World War II songs like, and we were <laughs> laughing about that, about how, how jaunty they were, like Hitler, I don't know. Oh, no, no, what was it? Goebbels. Yeah. No, Goring had only one big ball. Uh, Goebbels had two, but very small. Himmler was very similar, but Hitler had no balls at all. That's how much we disrespect old bloody Hitler, is he's got no fucking balls. Let's have it. And there was, there was these other ones, 
they were so they were so simplistic. Like on Mother Kelly's doorstep, down Faraday Road. If I had the wings of a swallow, if I had the ass of a crow, I'd fly over <laughs> Berlin tomorrow and shit on the <laughs> bastards below. You got, you're fighting a massive war and just tip tip da da dee 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 dee. It seems like there, there's no, the people that are on telly, all, all, whatever their hue, whatever their skin color, seem to have all been to the same universities as one another. Is that wrong, or am I just retreading no, I think old a, tropes I've heard? No, I think that there is an issue that people in comedy would acknowledge is that there is a, a, a similar worldview. So, you, like, if you see a panel show and the subject is Meghan and Harry. The British public, there's quite a lot of people that find them fucking annoying, right? But if you get on a panel show, would anyone stick their neck out and say dare to say anything critical about Meghan and Harry? Because they would then think there's issues of colour. She's a woman. She's a woman of colour. You know. Yeah, but so, they go. So they that, go. For, do they go for the other couple though? The other one. The probably one. yeah and they'll, they'll go for you know like the senior members of the royal family and that that's i that's what i've always thought i don't think there's anyone sitting in their homes going where's a right-wing comedy show no I want one right-wingers wants, no because no, it wouldn't just, be good you just don't want um you just kind of want a comedy that kind of bumps up against itself like you know yeah. back and forth spread back of and opinions forth, bit, of, bit of that kind of yeah, a spread of stuff and someone's the odd time saying something a bit, woo. Like, I mean, um, remember, remember years ago, like really lefty com- comedians used to love going to see uh, Jerry Sadowitz. Yeah. Because they yeah. loved hearing him say these incredibly outrageous things, but they wouldn't go see him now. No, no. No. Yeah, because it was, it was seen within context. I mean, as we're talking about stand-up now, um, I watched, you know, some of your stuff just in prep for talking to you, and there's this great set online which everyone can watch of you at Comedy Unleashed. You know, so funny. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me watching it was, and this might be a difficult thing for t- you to answer, but your style has, shall we say, informed other younger comics, I think, <laughs> watching it, because it's very authentic when you do it. But I suddenly realised... And I never thought it before, but there's like a, there's certain mannerisms stuff. I thought I see some echoes down the ages there. You know, <laughs> you you did that thing that's so hard, and and maybe it's a thing with Canadian Canadian comics have like the good ones have such like yourself, Tom Stade. You know, is, is there something about cutting your teeth doing comedy in Canada, or did you mainly learn your trade? Yeah, here? no, entirely here. I only um, I'd been doing it here a few. I only ever did in two thousand and one. I did four gigs in Canada, five gigs in Canada. That was the only time I ever did comedy mm. there. So I developed a, uh, my style over here, um, mainly from the split second I felt like I sounded like someone else going the other way. And then when I was in, uh, uh, so I, I was doing my kind of uh, my whimsy at the time, you know, kind of oh, whimsy mm. stuff, surreal animals, stuff like that. And I was at the Melbourne Comedy Festival 2005, and uh, I've been I was hanging around with Sean Locke a lot. It was it was a dream for me. Sean Locke, Mike Wilmot, Rich Hall, all, all I was hanging out with all the old bruisers. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the they changed the order at this at the the this big gig. It was like the last gig of the festival. They changed the order, and this act over there called the Umbilical Brothers, which is a huge show with acrobatics and music it's a big th- and they came mm. to the organizer says we can't go on last because we have to take down our stuff our equipment to get it in the truck or something like that so and so the promoter said uh oh well tony you go on last and sean Locke went you can't fucking do that that's like putting f- <laughs> what did he say that's like putting I uh, forget the example. He made me something like suede or like a kind of shitty indie band. You can't put suede <laughs> on after Phil Collins. You can't. And he went on this. And because he could see I was terrified, you know, like I yeah. would have to close this thing. And it's a bear pit, that gig at the hi-fi. Yeah, yeah. And he just kept taking the piss, which made me feel really good. But it did make me panic. And I saw backstage there was a boiler suit an old boiler suit. I chucked that on, chucked on a baseball cap, and I developed a new side to my whimsy, which was a hardcore whimsy where I went out shouting insane shit about wood chippers. And, and I started, yeah. and I tucked into my redneck fucking upbringing and started, went out there and went, holy fuck, and, you know, hey, you know, you got a wood chipper. I can't even remember the bit, but it, 
and and it changed everything for me. My trajectory after that, I I start suddenly like do uh, the alpha alpha whimsy. Yeah, alpha whimsy, because I I could finally go into a jongler's or a hard room and do it, whereas I was yeah. getting absolutely caned. So I was doing great in the little art centers or hipster gigs, but I was getting slaughtered at the the you know the regular comedy clubs. So that just gave me an extra gear. And uh, yeah, and then it went from there. That's how that got started. Shouting. I, 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 I said, I literally said, you need to shout parts of your show. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, there's always like, I think there's social comment in what you do, but just the way you get to it is so tangential. I mean, there was a bit from that set at Comedy Unleashed where you sort of, uh, you talk about the bare pit of social media and the difference between that and the real world. And then you walk out there, seems fine. Yeah. But like <laughs> the, the, in the hands of another comic, like if you, so you're essentially saying that the real world is very different to the social media world. In the hands of another comic, that could have sounded like a Guardian article, but you distilled it right down yeah. to a handful of words, and and it was just funny because it was one of those truths that stand up can do, yeah, right? You, Where you, you just go, you, we, it's on the tip of people's you minds. Miss, you, you, yeah, and then you you walk outside, everyone seems fine, and you give high fives to everyone, and then <laughs> but then you miss the outrage, and you go back inside <laughs> yeah. and get back online. Ah, fucking ah. Yeah, I, I I think it's I've heard that before that it is kind of a little bit political. It, I can say things that are not really just lefty or or righty or centry. Just just some there's a bit of class in there comes out. I guess social social commentary and small p politics. You know the politics of being alive. I mean, in in that set, I think or maybe this was on an interview of Adam Buxton, but you were talking about. You know how 15 years ago was a great time to be Frankie Boyle. And I, I really identified with that because being offensive, you got these legacy offenders, right? It's heritage offenders like Frankie, yeah. Ricky Gervais, Dave Chappelle, and that, and Jimmy. And, and it's in the deal with them, isn't yeah. it? It's kind of, that's just Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you try doing that now. I mean, it is, if you want to come out, you there's so much, even for me, because I was talking about politics from 2013. I already had a head start, but people that want to say something a bit out there now, it's a very different journey. Well, I think it? it's a uh, it's a bit like <clears throat> uh, art in the former Soviet bloc. You know, they to say anything, you had to layer it, and f you know, you had to find really creative mm. ways to say something. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> uh, you had to make a cartoon about a snowman. And put it to Chopin or something, and then that would be a comment on the leadership. And everyone would go, "What is yeah. it?" Yeah, you know that the snowman is. You know that the snowman is really Khrushchev, right? Snow, you know snowman. That. He's not all bad because he was a big hero in uh, in Stalingrad, but also he uh, want to <laughs> erase Stalin, but not throw it all in bin. Now I make bots. Um, yeah, like, uh, but Frankie, he's, he's had it both ways, hasn't he? He went out there making fun of handicapped children, and now he preaches oh. to other people. He's a, that's a piece, that's an about turn, isn't it? Now he's, he's, he's lived a dream, yeah, mate. He's, he, he, he sort of harvested during the good years. Yeah. It's one of the issues I've had recently where they talk about, every time the discussion about cancel culture comes up, the majority of people in comedy, publicly at least, right, even though they might say different things to me in private, they claim that cancel culture is an absolute myth and then they cite the fact that Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K. and Ricky Gervais have... <laughs> That's all you need, Tony. 40 million fans. <laughs> Global fan base. That's all you need. Why is everyone complaining? Well, like as Bill Burr says, uh, there, yeah, there's no such a thing as, uh, you know, uh, or controversy online or being canceled. He goes, all you got to do is just ignore the Internet for three days and in three days it's over. Well, yeah, it is for you, but it isn't for like Bill, Bill Williams who's doing a set down at fucking, I don't even know a name of a club anymore. I don't know what they're called these days, Tony, but I remember I knew comedy was changing and becoming more millennial and maybe whimsical when I did an upstairs room in Islington in 2012 and the club was called Comedy Custard. Now, you cut your teeth in the cut and thrust of the mid-hard-drinking noughties. It would have been laughed out of town, a name like Comedy Custard. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm probably a little bit responsible for that because uh, I've always gone full whimsy. But I like, but I also like naughty jokes in there. I think I think the whimsy's funnier if, if right in the middle of it there's a there's something a bit naughty or truth, some sort of, 
it makes the truth you say in a routine better if you've just talked about monkeys water skiing you know that's so well this is this is i think it circles back to if we use it as a metaphor was it ted vanderkamp what was his ted name vanderwecken Ted Vanderwacken. So you did do something that was very alpha, but the thing you destroyed was a birdhouse. And I think that in some ways there, there's a coda there for this kind of alpha whimsy. Oh, well, I don't, I don't really I believe. Do so I don't well. believe in all the alpha thing because they, 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 that study on wolves they reckon was, uh, was uh, skewed. That there was, there was um, the alpha beta doesn't doesn't do a good enough job of describing the wolf male setup. Yeah. yeah, so sometimes the betas are more powerful than the alpha. Well, I suppose that. I don't know. That's what the betas say. Yeah, though. They yeah, put out their yeah. own report. I'm a, Those fucking nerds. I'm a, I'm, I'm a beta who just likes to dip his toe into alpha every once in a while and until a bigger alpha's around, and then I'm back to beta. You know, fuck that shit. I'm not yeah, going, it, I'm no, no UFC a, guy. <laughs> no, Those no. Guys well, listen, I mean, I, I, I think if anyone ever gets the opportunity to see you live, it's one that they should grasp. Uh, in terms of tour dates, are there any ones in? Are you touring at the moment? Are there any in particular that you want to push? Yeah, uh, well, no, just come to Colchester, and then if you want to see me, go on the website. I'm I'm a pretty I'm slow like an old person. I tr my tour dates are you know one here, one there, and then I do fill in with the clubs. I do that R O F L mm. club. You ever done that? Um, I, I presume it stands for right old fucking now. There's a guy up north who started in Newcastle under Lyme and he's just opened up like five clubs in the last year, which during a pandemic is pretty impressive and great for yeah. great clubs. So I do a lot of those. But yeah, my tour shows will be on my website. Tour shows are on the website. Okay, but well, yeah, come to Colchester Art Centre this Saturday for some shouty nonsense. Do that and go and see Tony because it just, you know, people talk these days. There's a lot of talk about comedy isn't as funny as it used to be. Well, I, I just watched that set of yours from Comedy Unleashed. And you know, it's like as comics, it's like we've got dead dicks. It's like our penises don't feel anymore. So we can't laugh usually. <laughs> but I sat and laughed at that. And, and I appreciate you, uh, you coming on the show. And uh, thank you very much for being here, Tony Law. Thanks for having me. This has been my social for the week. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, so that was the interview with Tony Law. I mean, I hope you enjoyed that uh, as much as I did. So, you know, give him a follow on the socials or whatever, but mainly go and see him live because he's an absolute phenomenon. And uh, look, it's quite a long episode, so I think we've got time for one letter this week. Let's have a look at that now. It's a letter from Henners from Gravesend. So he was picking up on some of the healthy eating things from the Matt Marnie episode. And he says... Jeff, I am enjoying the podcast, etc. I have been trying to give up takeaways as part of a New Year resolution. And to try and keep this up, rather, rather than order a takeaway, I decided to try out a beef eater restaurant, which I live about 30 seconds walk from. Even though I've lived practically opposite it for years, I've almost never been in there. Having now been in there a couple of times, I can say that the food is lovely and fairly priced. I'm now thinking of going in there a couple of times a week. In lieu of ordering a takeaway, as not only is it probably mildly healthier, it actually works out as cheaper than most other takeaways. Yeah, I mean, it depends how many pints you're throwing down your neck as well. You know, if you're sitting there going, this steak and chips is actually only 800 calories. And the five Peronis I had, well, I didn't even care at that point. Uh, and as concludes, my only concern is that eating regularly at a hotel restaurant when I'm not usually staying there is a bit too Alan Partridge. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I love this idea that just doing... This, I mean, first up, it's a 30-second walk, Henners. But I guess what you're saying is portion sizes at a beef eater. I would say, I mean, I wouldn't think that beef eaters were sort of known for being a healthy healthy food brand. I mean, they're not. it depends what you order, doesn't it? You know, you go, I had a salad there. And what was with the salad, Henners? 10-ounce rump and chips? But maybe this is something that we need to do. Maybe have your takeaway, but walk there. Go and give the colonel a little visit. Rather than sit there like a fat fuck in in the drive-thru when there are 40 cars in the drive-thru, rather than even driving to the KFC, this is now self-talk, how about you just walk there? You walk to the KFC. <laughs> I mean, there, there are points in that walk and on the way back where I think we'd all be questioning most of our life choices. But look, if this is, if this is reducing your portion sizes, Henners, it wasn't what I was expecting from the Matt Marnie episode, but I think we're all talking about, right, we're talking about things that are sustainable. So if that little 30-second walk there and smaller portion sizes, and, you know, you're having a low-calorie bit. Oh, no, look, no one wants a low-calorie bit. But good for you, 
<laughs> it's fucking smashing it, mate. It's uh, pretty much the end for this week. As ever, if you leave me a five-star review on uh, iTunes, please leave them anywhere, but I can read out the ones on iTunes because I can find them like a 45-year-old man doesn't know where shit is. Just one this week, and this is, says, always cheers me up, reassures me that I'm not only the only sane one left. There you go. That's what this podcast is about. It's a dialogue between, between us trying to find what most people think. What is a, a fair view? What is a kind of normal view uh, in British society? And that is from Dorset Dick. <laughs> Tried to make a serious point, but the guy's name, Dorset Dick, is uh, is, that, is that what you call yourself, Dorset Dick? I mean, have you moved away from Dorset? I am Dorset Dick. I mean, Dick, I'm imagining you're a man of a certain vintage. So all I would say is that when you're going to do, it, to do a little uh, company team meeting, just remember that the word Dick has died out a bit. And if you're walking into a group of 25 year old executives, don't go in there and go, "Hi, I'm Dorset Dick." Oh,